conventional medicine really treats symptoms. You know, let's say PCOS, a pretty common symptom is acne. Mm -hmm. Um, So we can do, you know, Accutane, we can do Mm -hmm. toxicals, we can do salicylic acid, you know, we're, we're putting a treatment to a symptom. I like to go back a step and ask, what's causing that symptom? Mm, in the right. I'm not thinking, what, what supplement can I give this person yes. to cure their acne? What right. topical can I put on their skin to cure right. the acne? I'm thinking, is this acne coming from, is it coming from diet? Is it coming mm-hmm. from dairy or sugar? Mm-hmm. Is it coming from gut issues? Gut, and yes. Is it coming from hormone imbalances? Mm-hmm. You know, where on their face is it? Is it jawline or is it else, you know, they're getting body acne? These are all things mm-hmm. that clue us into what's the thing that we have to fix. Because the thing is, if we figure out the things that we have to figure out for every person, then all of the symptoms get better, not just what we're trying to fix. You're listening to the Imperfect PCOS Podcast, where we share no BS science-backed strategies to put your PCOS into remission. I'm your host, Corey Ruth, aka The Women's Dietitian. Let's get into it. Melissa Groves Azaro, RDN, LD, CEO and founder of the Hormone Dietitian LLC is an integrative dietitian who helps busy women with hormone imbalances, PCOS, and fertility issues regain regular, symptom-free periods and get pregnant naturally. She uses a functional medicine approach to identify and address the root causes of symptoms with a personalized nutrition supplement and lifestyle plan to balance hormones and optimize fertility. She works virtually with clients in the U.S. in one-on-one and in group programs, is the creator of the PCOS Root Cause Roadmap and the Period Problems Root Cause Roadmap, is the author of A Balanced Approach to PCOS, a personal favorite PCOS cookbook of mine, and is the host of the podcast Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Imperfect PCOS podcast. Melissa, welcome to the show. I'm honored to have you. I know I was a guest on your podcast. Gosh, I don't even remember how long ago that was, but I feel like it's been a while. So much has happened. (laughs) And I was thinking about what can we talk about? I mean, what can we not talk about? You and I are really immersed in the PCOS world. And as like I was saying, there's no, there's no shortage of topics that we can dive into and have opinions on. So Welcome to the show. I'm so happy that you're here and I can't wait to get started. Thank you so much for having me. You know, we actually have kind of, we started our businesses around the same time, the same, you know, arena, the women's health PCOS niche. And so we've always been, you know, colleagues and like respected each other's work. And we actually remember, was it three years ago when we Yeah, it was COVID um, times. Yeah, we did a collab dietitians on getting started because we both get so, so many questions from dietitians. So it's nice to get that. It's been a long time since we've chatted. Yes, I know. I was thinking about that too. Like that, we got to bring that back. That was such a cool resource. We were teaching, you know, other RDs how to, you know, what to know about PCOS and women's health space and starting your business. That was so much fun. (laughs) Got to do that again. So I want to start with, first of all, how you got into the women's health space and became an RD and then went into PCOS. You were in marketing, advertising that world before, like that's a big shift. How did that, how did that unfold? Yeah, going, 
all the way back. I was <laughs> a dance and English major. I have a BA in English and dance from Hofstra nice. University in New York. And so cool. You know, my goal was to be a dance critic. I wanted to, I've always been a writer. I've always enjoyed writing. And so I want to critique dance. Until I realized there's like one dance critic who works at the New York Times and she does a really great job. And they, they, it's not a really uh, big job market, shall we say? Uh, (laughs) So I ended up, I was pretty fortunate because Hofstra at the time was one of only two universities that had an undergrad publishing studies English. Mm. So I actually studied proofreading and editing and book layout and book Mm. promotion and all of that and immediately got a job in publishing Mm. and hated it. (laughs) And now you have a book. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have, which weirdly (laughs) is like marketed by Simon and Schuster, which is the company that I worked for. Um, Yeah. I was um, Stephen King's uh, editor, paperback editor's editorial assistant. Um, I hated it because you, not that I hated him. He's lovely. (laughs) He's really nice. It's not Um, you, it's them. Yeah. But you don't actually work on books anymore. They farm all that out to freelancers. So the publishing houses are more about schmoozing, like the, uh, eight- the PR yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I want to be in the words, you know? Yeah. So there's this random ad for a proofreading position, and it ended up being in pharmaceutical advertising. Hmm. So, yeah. So fast forward a few years, I'm editing and proofreading. And the creative directors are like, have you ever thought about writing? And I was like, well, mm-hmm. no, um, you yeah. know, I write a really good research paper. And they're like, that's exactly what we need. So uh-huh. I rose the ranks in advertising and I was a VP by the age of like 32. Wow. Um, I was in oncology, which is like the only way I lived with myself being, you know, selling drugs basically. Oh, Yes. So it was like, okay, at least I'm selling drugs that are helping yes. pro life and for very right. right. That was really my first. You weren't in like Viagra or I, I didn't work on Viagra. I worked on <laughs> before that. Nice. Taken off the market, which is an, ar- an arthritis medication. So a COX-2 inhibitor. So I and then I, you know, moved into oncology. So I'm working on things like VEGF inhibitors and TKI. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're like these really targeted, very high science accounts. And I had never, I mean, I was always kind of like I enjoyed science, but I I didn't mm-hmm. know much I liked science till I was writing it. Yes. And so that's that sort of like started putting it in my mind that, mm-hmm. oh, I really like this. Um, yeah. So, you know, advertising is exactly like it's portrayed in the yes. media. <laughs> you know, working 90 hour weeks, I was traveling all the time, my own mm-hmm. hormone stuff. So, you know, I right. have PCOS, but there were a couple of times I tried to go off the pill in my 20s and early 30s and mm-hmm. couldn't because I was just like, Mm-hmm. crippled, you know, I was just mm-hmm. on a few weeks out of the, out of every month. And I was oh. like, I can't, yeah. I can't like this. So I kept going mm-hmm. back up hell and, you know, right. little did I know, all the travel, all the takeout, all the late nights, all the alcohol yes. Happy yes. was mm-hmm. contributing to yes. hormone issues. So when I started to, you know, 
plan my escape from advertising. It was one of those kind of light bulb moments where it's like, I've always collected cookbooks. I've always read nutrition books. I actually did the um, Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Oh, cool. Yeah. 2000. Nice. Uh, And I came out of that thinking, well, that's interesting, but I'm not credentialed to Mm. (laughs) help anyone. But when I was going through that program, there was a girl who was simultaneously going through an RD program. Mm -hmm. And she was like, it's because I want to be I want to be able to prescribe yes. and supplements. And that got me thinking. So when I was like ready to make a break for it, yeah. um, like, what can I do? RD was, you know, I was like, what, what would it take to get there? And, yeah. you know, long story, it took about seven years to get there, but wow. I got RD at 40. Um, nice. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then how I transi- transitioned into PCOS, um, I was working at the office of a functional medicine dietitian who specialized in gut health. And okay. me, anyone who is not a complicated gut case, I would get. So, oh, okay. with, you know, with the dietitian office is mostly weight loss. People come in wanting right. to know how to lose weight. And yes. from a functional medicine perspective, you're looking at mm-hmm. what they lose weight. You know, you're looking at what they're eating. You're looking at right. how much moving and you're like, this isn't adding up, like what's happening when you're doing the deeper testing and you're looking at things like sleep and stress level and cortisol, Mm -hmm. thyroid and insulin. And so that was the first place I encountered a patient with PCOS. And I got so mad because, you know, I'm working with her, she's doing everything right. Nothing's budging Mm -hmm. Um, the research and there's like nothing, you know, it's either cut carbs, cut sugar, yeah. you know, eliminate everything, which is not all or nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For a lifetime or, you know, what the research says isn't super helpful either because mm-hmm. there's not a lot. So, mm-hmm. you know, I started digging into those root causes and what could we do to lower insulin resistance, to lower inflammation, to mm-hmm. improve health and then to balance those hormones that were imbalanced. So you know, that was really, I got hooked after that first patient because I was like, these people deserve better. Like yes. they deserve more than what they're getting, which is <sighs> just, mm-hmm. you know, these crazy restrictive diets or doctors mm-hmm. not taking them seriously and just mm-hmm. saying, take the pill, come back when you want to get pregnant. There's no way around it. PCOS is complex and multifaceted. What we know about it, including how best to treat it, is constantly changing. That's why I've dedicated my life's work to helping women put their PCOS into remission. Inside my signature program, the PCOS Boss Academy, women lose weight permanently without restriction and master their most stubborn PCOS symptoms. If you're looking to get pregnant or want to be a mom in the future, my ultra-successful Get Pregnant with PCOS program supports moms-to-be every step of the way in conquering PCOS symptoms and bringing home the baby of their dreams. Plus, there's an additional weight loss mode to check into. These are all of the science-backed nutrition and lifestyle tweaks you need to improve your PCOS and change your life from a qualified healthcare provider and leading PCOS expert in the field. 
Ultimately, we are in control of our PCOS, and I would love to work with you inside one of my upcoming programs so you can step into the best version of yourself and start feeling like you again. And so, you know, the the thing that's so rewarding about PCOS, and you you know this, is it's really not drastic changes. It's these little yes. mm-hmm. consistent changes. It's just focusing on the right things makes such a difference. So you know, that's been, it's been really great working with this population. Totally. Yes. And I love that you are somebody who was, you know, and I say this just because I have PCOS, but on the other side of the diagnosis and still recognizing how, you know, frustrating it can be because obviously I was on the other side and feeling that same feeling, but also wondering, you know, do my healthcare providers understand that you can't just tell me to eat less and move more. It doesn't work like that for me. It's never worked like that. So I love that you saw that and, you know, you sought that out as far as, you know, where you took your career. That is so amazing. Tell us there are, so PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, there's so many misconceptions about it. And we can even start with the name. I mean, the name of it, so many people have been advocating for a name change because it's so misleading. We have so many women thinking that, you know, their big, you know, grapefruit-sized cysts that rupture and send them to the ER is from their PCOS. And every time I post about it, people really get so angry and, you know, they're like, oh, you're gaslighting me. And I'm like, "Mm, actually, no, like you can have both, but that's not your PCOS. So there's just so many misconceptions just because of the name. And now, you know, with some of these newer guidelines coming out, we are, I I hope getting closer to a name change. I would love that um, because it really would just make everything, it would just illuminate so many things about the condition as a starting point. I believe, um, I think it was Dr. Laura Shaheen who in an Instagram post had had proposed polyfollicle syndrome, which mm-hmm. is fun to say. Polyfollicle. It does. That is uh, nice to say. That's more accurate. You know, polyfolly. We're polyfollies. Polyfolly syndrome. Um, <laughs> yeah. I like it. You know, immature follicles, yeah. your body is having trouble ovulating. So they're building right. in your ovaries, which is different from those functional mm-hmm. cysts that are mainly draw, uh, driven by estrogen issues. Right. So yes. That rupture and cause pain. That's estrogen issues. That's yep. my part of like what I deal with. Right. Not necessarily PCOS. Although just because you have PCOS doesn't mean you don't also have. I do have people who have both. Oh, me too. Yeah. And that, you know, it makes it a little more difficult when someone's dealing Mm -hmm. with PCOS plus endometriosis or PCOS plus, you know, PMDD or something else that's coming more from and progesterone imbalance. I've also seen, and I don't know if you've seen this, but I've seen a couple of people talking about the negative sides of potentially changing the name because, mm-hmm. you know, it's been such a hard road to even get recognition for the condition. That's and we're true, yes. Condition, and we're still not there in terms of funding. We're still like 0.01% of funding goes to PCOS, which is ridiculous considering it affects up to 20% of women. Yeah. Um, and it's the leading cause of infertility. I mean, that. Yeah. So there's alone. a little, you know, and then there's all the the arguments on the other side too, about, uh, you know, with the androgen excess society wanting mm. androgens 
to be a criteria, you know, where you have to have that. Cause right now it's sort of yeah. diagnosed. It's like, you don't necessarily have to have high androgens. You don't necessarily have to have mm-hmm. ovaries, but yeah, it's sort of, Interesting. there's no real consensus out there. So, um, yeah. you know, it really goes back to how I treat people. I don't treat people with a PCOS protocol. It's not, mm-hmm. you have PCOS, this is the diet you yes. follow, the supplements you take, this is the kind of exercise you do. Mm-hmm. We can't have to look at people as individuals right. who have a condition mm-hmm. and then how that condition manifests is different in everybody. So Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It has to be that individualized, you know, super targeted approach because we all exist on such a spectrum with this condition. So what are, what are, and I have it pulled up here. I I need to post about this soon, but what are some of the guidelines that, you know, that potentially are, are, I I don't, you know, they're suggested, you know, as far as what they would want to change. Um, I know there's like a mental health aspect, early detection in adolescence. I mean, there's, there's a ton of stuff on there and I was really happy to see at least it's, you know, coming into conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I still haven't done a deep dive into the entire new guidelines, but basically the international expert guidelines are, you know, an attempt to come to a consensus about what is PCOS, how to diagnose it, how Mm -hmm. to treat it. And in, you know, from a nutrition perspective in 2018, when the first guidelines came out, they basically only said weight loss helps, weight loss of five to (laughs) ten. Um, doesn't matter what diet you follow, it's or what your weight is (laughs) losing five to ten percent weight. That was like it. So it was good. They worked with some dietitians and doctors, you know, experts Mm -hmm. who are working in PCOS to, you know, update these guidelines. And there actually were some more specific nutrition guidelines written in this time. So one of the, the main ones was, um, not nutrition related, but the clearer diagnostic criteria for adults and adolescents and, you know, adding AMH in as, as a way of diagnosis because that, you know, is indicative of how many follicles you have. So you don't necessarily even need that ultrasound. If your AMH is high, we can assume you have a lot of follicles in there. Also took a step back and, you know, there's that misconception that PCOS is this reproductive condition and it affects fertility and it is, but it's also a metabolic condition and it affects almost every system in your body. So it talked more about risks like sleep apnea and mental health and Mm -hmm. the pregnancy risks, you know, the higher miscarriage, the Mm -hmm. hypertension, gestational diabetes. You know, and it really emphasized more education for practitioners. Um, and in terms of nutrition, it really recommended tailoring mm. diet. How refreshing. A person's food preferences, their lifestyle. And I love this, co-developing a nutrition plan with a professional. So working with an RD. Yes works for you. Um, Mm. Yeah, really, there were, there were some really kind of more specific ones. Again, not really any diet that works any better than Mm. any other. It did also talk about the higher incidence of disordered eating in 
PCOS, you know, body image issues. And, you know, that's really my biggest concern when it comes Mm -hmm. to the influencers who are out there, like cut this food, that food. And it's like, well, that's a pretty quick route to an eating disorder. Um, Especially with people who've struggled with weight all along and, you know, not person with PCOS struggles this way. And that leaves us with the other big question mark. Well, like, what do we do for those people if right. we tell them to lose weight? So, right. you know, really highlighted how, how it's really the basics that we know. So things like a Mediterranean style diet that are higher in protein and, you know, quality carbs. Um, it mm-hmm. highlighted exercise guidelines that are, you know, recommended for all people really doesn't differ all that much for PCOS cardio. We need strength. We need both. So, um, you know, I think it went a little farther. It's definitely, you know, forward in terms of what's out there. And I, I hope, I'm sure you hear the horror stories too, you know, just what OBGYNs and PCPs are saying Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. women they work with. And so yeah. more education across the board can only be a good thing. Exactly. Exactly. So you're saying that their diet recommendation was not to just cut gluten and dairy and then everything will be hunky-dory? Yeah, not, not at all. Also not, also not cut sugar or cut, yeah. or cut soy or any... Yeah. That's good. Recommendations that we see out there that really have no bearing on PCOS. Oh, that's so, so refreshing to hear that we just are starting to consider, not we, obviously we have for a long time, but, you know, us healthcare as a whole is starting to consider all of these other things that go into PCOS potentially, including the mental health and the, you know, the eating disorder facets. That's just huge. I think that's, that's progress. You know, we'll see what actually comes to fruition, but at least we're generating conversation about it and it's, you know, science backed. So that's really, really cool. I love that. Thank you for going into depth there. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you are on the same spectrum. I am in terms of recommendations, like neither you nor I are telling people to go out and chug, you know, three glasses of milk and eat gluten (laughs) times a day every day. It's not the thing that's going to make or break your PCOS, you know, and so focusing on these tiny details that make your life harder. I mean, I'm allergic to dairy. I can't have dairy. It's really sad. And I miss out on the convenience of grabbing a cottage cheese. I can't participate in the cottage cheese trends right now because I can't have it. You know, I know you've got Literally just ate this before our call. Yes. Dairy is a super convenient source of protein. And protein is one of the things that I emphasize the most for PCOS and women's health. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's something you can grab from your fridge on the way out the door and it makes your life easier. Why take that away from yourself if you don't have to? I know. Yeah. There was a time in my, in my younger life when I was, you know, thinking that I would do the vegan diet and I did it for a long time, years. And I won't even go into depth or into detail as far as what happened to my poor period and my mental health. But anyway, um, it was so illuminating to go out to a restaurant and see how many dishes included either gluten and dairy or either gluten, dairy, or both. And then I started to get into the gluten-free vegan. I mean, it was just too much. It was too much and it was exhausting. And you really don't think about it until it's gone. How many 
you know, processed foods, takeout, uh, you know, convenience food, fast food, restaurant food, catering, include gluten, dairy, or both. And it really takes off so many choices and you really have to be conscious about it, which I think is the number one reason why it can be helpful um, if you eliminate these things, right? Because all of a sudden you're conscious of your food choices. You can't eat anything. (laughs) So you're going to pick the salad with the protein, which is what I probably might have recommended for you in that moment anyway. Of course, we don't have to eat salads all day long, but you know, it's it's that that really, I think, makes the biggest difference um, when we're talking about eliminating gluten and dairy, not the gluten and the dairy themselves, unless you have acne. And we we might recommend taking, trialing, taking dairy out, um, not for everyone, but if it, if it's helpful. Yeah. And I do, you know, if, if someone has PCOS and Hashimoto's, I might talk yeah. about, you know, the feasibility of taking right. gluten out as well. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the part where we have to co-create a plan with the patient because, yes. you know, I'm on the East coast, you're on the West coast. We have it pretty sweet when it comes to yes. options. Yeah. Um, Definitely, if you're not in an urban location or mm-hmm. you're in the middle of the country, um, it makes it really hard to eat gluten and dairy free. Um, so true. You know, supermarkets don't even have, you know, where I'm, I'm up in, you know, sort of semi rural New Hampshire. And yeah, I'm pretty rural as well. Take, you know, I'll start to see new foods on Instagram or TikTok. And yeah. Like, it'll be like that? a year and a half, two years before it <laughs> yes. shows up in my grocery store. Yeah. And then it's like one option. Like we have that um, yes. that avocado ice cream. We do have that now, but it's, oh, we yeah. have so it's like, like there's no options. So. Got it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, that's so true. We have to think about, you know, also I feel like it is kind of a privileged recommendation for those who might not have access to all of those fancy gluten-free, you know, air quotes, healthy foods and who live in food deserts. I mean, that is something huge to consider that we're not even looking into when we're making recommendations to completely eliminate gigantic parts of some people's food staples. You know, I, I wanted to talk about too, with the gluten-free thing, the, the mm-hmm. assumption is always just take everything you're eating gluten and replace it with gluten-free options. But mm. yeah, are pricey, you know, like- I know, groceries are enough already. For, for what, two, three dollars and a, a yeah. gluten-free bread's like twelve dollars. Yes. So. And they're and the, the loaf of gluten-free bread is like the size <laughs> of my iPhone. I mean, I look at it, I'm like- what huh where did it go like what it's like someone took a shrink gun i don't know why that is always the case with gluten-free breads <laughs> yeah i always you know somebody does have to be gluten-free i like yes. to talk about well let's focus on foods that are naturally right. gluten-free like maybe you're eating more potatoes potatoes cheap potatoes yeah mm-hmm. lentils and chickpeas because those are Cheaper. naturally foods. Yes. And they're not going to cost you an arm and a leg. Yeah. Which groceries already cost, like not even getting into gluten and dairy free items. So true. Um, talk to us about, I love your approach and actually, so, um, I'm writing, I'm writing a book right now and it'll be out sometime next year. But one of the chapters I was playing around with titles and I had my friend giving me input and she was like, how about the root, the root causes behind? I'm like, no, I can't use that verbiage. I don't want to use that verbiage because it's so you. And I, I love that you talk so much about it. Tell us about that. Like, and then I didn't describe it very well, but tell us about kind of how you work within the PCOS world and symptom management and diagnosing um, when it comes to figuring out somebody's root causes behind their PCOS. Cause that's really the approach that you take. And I love it. 
Yeah. So, you know, conventional medicine really treats symptoms. You yes. Know, let's say PCOS, a pretty common symptom is acne. So we can do, you know, Accutane, we can do mm-hmm. topicals, we can do salicylic acid, you know, we're, we're putting a treatment to a symptom. I like to go back a step and ask what's causing that symptom mm-hmm. in the So So with PCOS, we have some sort of common threads of root causes or drivers. I've seen people use drivers as well um, of symptoms. Can you go into what they are very briefly? Okay. Yeah. So the vast majority of people with PCOS have insulin resistance or Mm -hmm. some degree of insulin resistance. And Mm -hmm. even if you don't, even if you have lean PCOS, you've never struggled with your weight before. Talk about it like the tendency is there. So if you were to, for example, stop eating balanced blood sugar meals and eat a breakfast of, you know, three pancakes with syrup and, you know, powdered sugar, like, you know, you would feel like crap, right? Oh my God. Yeah. I'd be like on the floor. (laughs) An hour later, you're going to be sweaty and shaky and hangry and it's just terrible, you know? So- we just get it <laughs> to the blood sugar to lower that in- insulin resistance. Inflammation is another one. We don't really know what percentage of people with PCOS have inflammation, but we do mm-hmm. know that inflammation is higher in people with PCOS than people without at the same mm-hmm. weight, age, et cetera. So okay. you know, typically I see inflammation coming from gut issues, mm-hmm. ECOS itself from that excess body fat, especially mm-hmm. fat or okay. belly fat, which is mm-hmm. you know, metabolically active and it's literally throwing inflammatory compounds out into your bloodstream. Oh, um, so yeah. inflammation is key to gut issues, you know, we know the gut microbiome is different in PCOS than people without PCOS. Um, I see a lot of overlap people with PCOS who also have IBS or IBD or heartburn or constipation or gallbladder issues, you know, all of these are kind of lumped in together. And then we can't have balanced hormones if our gut's not working. And so true. with PCOS, the hormones we're, we're thinking about are the androgens. So yeah. I want to know which androgen. Is it mostly testosterone, which mm-hmm. is coming mostly from the ovaries, and that's being driven mostly by insulin resistance? Or mm-hmm. is it more DHEA is your mm-hmm. higher gen coming from the adrenals, and that's more lifestyle stress-driven? So you know we have to look at all of these, and it's different for everybody. So... Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm looking at someone with acne, to go back to the example, yes. right. I'm not thinking what what supplement can I give this person yes. to cure their acne? What right. topical can I put on their skin to cure right. the acne? I'm thinking, is this acne coming from? Is it coming from diet? Is it coming mm-hmm. from dairy or sugar? Mm-hmm. Is it coming from gut issues? Gut, and yes. Is it coming from hormone imbalances? Mm-hmm. You know, where on their face is it? Is it jawline or is it else? You know. Getting body acne, these are all things mm-hmm. that clue us into what's the thing that we have to fix. Because the thing is, if we figure out the things, 
that we have to figure out for every person, then all of the symptoms get better, not Mm. just what we're trying to fix. Otherwise, it's like I talk about it like it's a mole, you know, it's like, okay, well, you fix acne because you're taking this topical. And then you've got to go back to the dermatologist because now your hair's falling out. Now you have to figure out what to do about that. So sort of like a game of whack-a-mole of these symptoms popping up and it's like yeah. you're fixing one and another one pops up. But if you work on the root causes, all of the downstream symptoms will improve. Yeah. So true. Yes. I thank you for, for going into detail there a little bit more. I love that, that you really focus on getting to, you know, the, the root, the issue that is, driving some of our symptoms rather than just slapping on a supplement band-aid. It's so needed. I, I was really resonating with the, the insulin resistance piece. You know, I think a lot of us, when we are in school, we think about blood sugar and we think about diabetes and that's about it. But from, you know, for someone like me back in the day, when I was really struggling, I would be on this like carb train and because my blood sugar would drop. And then the only thing that I wanted, because my body said it needs sugar, it needs fuel, glucose carbs would come from carbs. And then I would eat carbs and feel better temporarily. And then my blood sugar would drop again. I would eat carbs to feel better. And it was this vicious cycle where, and I felt horrible. My energy was awful. Obviously my gut was a wreck. So, I mean, I still struggle, but once I realized that instead of just hopping on and off the carb train, if I started to eat protein and fiber, it would actually prevent that drop. And the cycle ended there. And that was so key for me because I, like I said, I always thought about, you know, blood sugar from like an old man with diabetes. Like that's not me. I don't struggle with blood sugar issues, but then I started realizing, no, I really do. And after I started to implement that, you know, my cycle started to get better and everything started to get better because of that dietary and that blood sugar piece. So insulin resistance can show up, you know, in so many different ways and can really run the gamut in terms of how it impacts our PCOS symptoms. Hey, you know, that really goes for people, women without PCOS too, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was guilty of running late to work, dashing into a deli and yes. grabbing bagel, eating a plain bagel for breakfast. And then, you know, two hours later, you're hungry and you eat a banana and then you're trying to be good. So you go out and you have a salad, Salad. not enough protein. And then you come home and eat everything that's not nailed down in the kitchen because you're so rough or you, you know, you have your favorite um, takeout on speed dial. It's like, you know, and, and I'm so, you know, my, my, is Italian. So like just burying myself into a bowl of pasta after yeah. a day is like really yeah. great. That's where, yeah. you know, cognitive uh, adult Melissa has to step in and say, okay, <laughs> damn, have, damn her. <laughs> have your pasta. We're going to add some yes. shrimp. We're going to add some broccoli. So get some protein, get some bean based pasta. So you're getting more fiber, you're getting more protein. So it's just taking those things that that I enjoy keeping it more balanced. But I think one of the most crucial changes that most women can make is to eat more during the day. We are chronic as women, um, way too little protein as well. And I Mm -hmm. think, you know, I had my vegan experiment too. Um, (laughs) We all have a vegan phase. And, um, you know, those 
the only time in my life where I would go to the gym and have to get off the machine and oh, yeah. go downstairs and get candy. You know, I would have, I would get sour mm. or something that's like mm-hmm. sugar to right. raise the sugar back up. Cause I was yes. just, you yep. know, shaking and passing out at the gym and I wasn't, you know, I was eating, eating a lot yeah. enough. I was, you know, I was probably right. eating calories. It just wasn't and fiber. Yeah. Yeah, it just wasn't balanced enough. So, you know, I think I think we yeah. we have to really work with where someone is. But I've been, you know, on my own health journey over the past mm-hmm. um, almost a year now. And, you know, I used to, I would say I if I pay attention to protein, I naturally will get about a hundred grams a day. Nice. Which is, That's good. You know, what I recommend yeah. as like a baseline for most people. And now that yeah. I've shifted to menopause and it's like, Ooh, maintaining lean body mass matters now Mm. more than anything else. You know, I've really, it takes effort to get it. You know, I I recommend around a gram per pound of body Mm -hmm. weight, get like 130, 140 grams of protein. It takes actual effort. It does. Yeah. Like make some specific changes, like, right. you know, and sort yeah. of ball. I don't recommend tracking for most people um, mm-hmm. long-term mm-hmm. anyway. I like to right. kind of spot check, see where Me we too. are. Yeah. Get some data. Um, mm-hmm. But I do kind of like to keep that running tally in my head. Yeah. Of where am I like mid afternoon? Yeah. What do I have to do at dinner? Cause right. other that makes you feel, yeah. Yeah. You finish dinner, you're full and you're like, Oh crap, I'm short. Like 30. Yeah. Hours. Yeah, you're not making it up at that point. So, you know, paying attention to that um, really helps. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, it's good. It's if it if it makes you feel better, it helps your symptoms. Do it. You know, keep going. Um, You know, if it's if it's helpful to kind of have that running mental tally, I think that's awesome. And yeah, protein is a huge game changer. I always talk about protein, fat, and fiber for PCOS. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I can imagine that only, you know, intensifies as we get into menopause or perimenopause and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. I get also PFF on my, on my yeah. clients. PFF. Is- yes. The PFF formula. <laughs> I love it. So tell us that you, t- you are getting into sports nutrition. You've been kind of getting into that world. What are, what are some changes that you um, have found to be helpful and that you recommend as far as movement? Um, you know, tell us kind of what that encompasses and how women and listeners can find that, you know, what they can do to implement some of those changes. Yeah. You know, so perimenopause, can I say bitch? I can say bitch. Oh Perimenopause- Yeah is a bitch. Um, yes, I'm not looking forward, but I know it's start, coming. <laughs> yeah. It can start earlier than you think. And I think, you know, what happens for a lot of people, I know, you know, I had done so much work on my own hormones and my periods yeah. were regular and they were symptom free. Like it would show up. I'd be, you know, not surprised, uh, but yeah, I didn't have any symptoms leading up to it. it, you know, like a non-event. And I was like, this is, this is magical. Yes. Um, and then everything starts changing, you know, and this happens with PCOS too. And I yes. think one of the, the interesting things about PCOS and perimenopause and menopause is your cycles actually might get a little more regular as mm. your testosterone starts to come down as we yes. age. They're getting more regular. Some of your symptoms are getting better. You know, your skin might be clearer. You might not be dealing with mm-hmm. some of the same issues that you were dealing with before. But the things that happen 
during perimenopause are really these body composition shifts. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all PCOS or not start storing more of our fat in the belly area. And that's Mm -hmm. the danger of that. And this is not, I wanted to talk about this. When I talk about waist circumference and I'm talking Mm -hmm. about that, people get really upset um, and triggered. Mm -hmm. And it's not about how you look in a bikini. It's not what size pants you are wearing. It is about the very real cardiometabolic Mm -hmm. risks associated with belly fat. Right. So, you know, going into menopause and with PCOS, Mm -hmm. you know, the time when some of those metabolic risks start to manifest. So mm-hmm. when insulin resistance mm. turns into prediabetes and diabetes, yes. yeah. cholesterol, the numbers are really abnormal. It's when right. your, um, you know, blood pressure starts to creep up. And I always feel bad. Damn AGE disease. Oh, um, I always feel bad when I'm working with women in their forties, because then we're limited in terms of the natural treatments we can use because so many, especially the blood pressure meds, they have so many supplement interactions. That's like, true. Yeah. Blood pressure. You know, you know, if someone comes to me, they're on three blood pressure medications. I can't even recommend NAC, you know, right. it's like, yeah, the basic supplements that I would recommend now we can't use. So, you know, for me, it has been, you know, I went into surgical menopause in mm-hmm. December a little bit different. So I had like, right. and, and normally it's like, yes, you know, definitely 2020, yeah. 2021, every, every month, every cycle, it was like, is this perimenopause? Is this the <laughs> pandemic? Why am I, you know, yes. some months not ovulating others? Why am I having mm-hmm. a day cycle followed by a 12 day cycle? Like what, what's going on here? Right. Um, so then, you know, when, when, when it came time that to go into surgical menopause, I was like, seeing what I needed to see from perimenopause. I'm, I'm, cool. <laughs> I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave that bitch behind. Yeah. I'm cool with just, like, getting past this. Yes. Um, but it's, it's amazing. Like how much your focus shifts to mm. long. And so, yes. yeah. you know, my main goal right now is aging well, and yes. especially you're going into, into menopause before you're 50, you know, I really, I was 47. So it's like, right. I could realistically live another half my life in this stage. So I don't oh, want to yeah. like, this is like the end, you know, right. giving up and getting old at this point. So <laughs> right. I really was like, okay, we're working on body composition. I'm minimizing that, you know, visceral fat. I'm, yes. I'm getting that risk factor, um, you know, mm-hmm. now I'm at higher risk for heart disease. So mm-hmm. managing all of that. So it's been a real shift. And, you know, like I said, one of the yes. things doing is increasing the protein. Um, mm-hmm. It's really hard to put on lean body mass right now, yeah. which is really difficult. I think, you know, the people who like compete and do that sort of thing, I, you just have to eat all day long. You have to make it a full-time <laughs> job. And I am yeah. not I'm not yes. willing to do that. Like I yeah. need to like, eat my three meals and have yeah. my after I work out. And that's like, yes, yeah, the, the most I can do at this point. Yes, um, okay. But I really shifted. I would say, you know, I'm, I'm probably working out less than mm-hmm. I was this time last year, but I'm working out differently. I'm mm-hmm. lifting. Yeah, cool. Heavy, 
three days a week. And that's mm-hmm. it. So I'm doing way less cardio than I, I mean, I'm still doing cardio. Yeah. Um, right. That's important for yeah. cardio. Mm-hmm. But I've replaced about half of it with with these weights workouts. So awesome. um yeah, so it, it's just, you know, my my goal and you want to think about like I think about how do I want to live in my you know 80s. Right. I want to be independent. Yeah. I be, yeah. you know, like in my compost in my garden and not need yes. you know, I'm a very independent person. So right. totally. I want to be limited at all by mobility. Yes. yes. So Absolutely. He is really building strength. Um, mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. been really, you know, kind of a shift for me because like, oh, I thought a hundred grams of protein a day was enough. And it turns uh-huh. out it's not, it's not quite. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. And, and I'm incorporating in more of the heavy lifting. You know, I've always heard that and I, I don't pretend to specialize in, you know, nutrition and dietetics for peri or menopause. Although I find that, or I, I probably will as I get into that phase of my own life, but I feel like my, you know, I'm in my mid thirties and I'm in, in, in that in-between spot of, you know, my twenties where I never even thought about it at all versus like heavy on my mind. I'm kind of like, mm, I'm dipping my toes into it. I'm starting to think about these changes more and more. And it is something that we really don't talk enough about. And we all, you know, most of us go through it. So it's, you know, it's, it's definitely something that needs to be closer, you know, at the forefront. Yeah. It's definitely a topic of conversation with my girlfriends who yeah in college together. And it's all just like, you know, the things that start happening where you're like, let's just say you're in the sweet spot because you're in the spot where you've done enough work and things are pretty good. So like you're in the sweet spot till about 40 three. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know it's coming. I know it's coming. <laughs> yeah. I was talking to, um, my best friend, you know, my grandma lives down the street and she'll be 94 in January. So I don't know. I feel like so many of us are so far away from our families these days. We live in separate cities. We don't really get to see our grandparents like into old, old age, you know? Um, and it's, it's been very interesting and definitely I've, you know, kind of thought a lot about what do I want to incorporate that she didn't, or what do I want to do that she did? And it's been a really interesting journey and just thinking about all of those things. Yeah. Yeah, Kind of getting to see it firsthand. My um, mother turned 80 this year and Mm -hmm. She's always been very social and very active. And mm-hmm. the first year where she said herself, she's like, I I feel like I'm old now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually old now. So, I, you know, yes. it's the limits um, with her mm-hmm. mobility. Right. Like, you know, if we know better, I mean, I think, you know, we've got my mom's age where they were doing probably your mom too, doing mm-hmm. the Jaconda, you know. Yes. Totally. Um, uh-huh. yeah, but before that, exercise wasn't a real thing because people right. had active jobs. And, yes. You know, so yeah. moving forward, I think I think we're gonna we're gonna see the sort of lies that were sold to women about yes. you know we were the fear of God put into us about getting yes. too busy or you know these right. It is it is so hard to get bulky if you're not taking like steroids. So I know. Yes, it it really is. I, I wanted to ask you as we kind of close out, what are your thoughts on HRT on hormone replacement therapies? 
Yeah. So again, I'm not an expert at all. Um, Dietitians can't prescribe. Right. Um, Where I was going into menopause early, Mm -hmm. the recommendation was that they want me on estrogen at least until I turn 52. Okay. the average age of menopause. So menopause. So, you know, I'm looking at five years, but the doctors, the menopause specialists that I follow and the doctors, um, they don't really put an endpoint on it because if it helps you feel better, then, you know, why, why choose an expiration date on feeling better? Um, you know, in terms of lowering risks, in terms of lowering vascular risks, the brain risks and the bone health risks, which are, you know, come along with menopause 52 is, you know, what they recommend. Um, and then it's very different. So, you know, some people just are on estrogen. Some people are on estrogen and progesterone. Other people might need DHEA or testosterone support. It's definitely been a journey getting my own hormones, you know, to a, a good place. They're, they're Mm -hmm. not there. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I will talk about, you know, I, I, again, another difference between conventional and functional medicine is mm-hmm. conventional medicine is going to prescribe a pill or, you right. know, they're going to prescribe, I got an estrogen pill um, and they, they give you the pill and they say, okay, see you in a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I know, you know, because of who we interact with and yes. um, I knew that wasn't enough. So I reached out to a naturopath who specializes in women's health and hormones, and she tested my estrogen. What a revolution, right? Like, wow, and see if it's working. So we tested my estrogen. This was like three, four months after taking it. Uh, Estrogen was non-detectable on a blood test. Not I had none in my body. So it's like, no wonder I'm having sweats and, you know, brain fog trouble finding the right words. So, you know, we, we put me on a different, hey, form, you know, a transdermal or cream or a patch got it. the way people go. So, you know, mm-hmm. and again, it just takes reaching out to someone who can help and someone you trust. And, you know, I was pretty fortunate to, you know, know of someone who's licensed in my state who could manage it for me. Um, mm-hmm. Awesome. So, I don't, you know, conventional medicines for treating me when I'm sick. Uh, yeah. Medicine is for wellness and prevention. And yes. I've, Love you know, in, in my mind, we, we need both. We need. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Another example of where, you know, naturopaths and dietitians can step in and shine. <laughs> yeah. And again, awesome. I think we really work well together. And I think, yeah. you know, that was another takeaway from the ex- expert guidelines. Um, mm-hmm. 2018, I loved the conclusion because it basically said it takes a village and it listed mm. all the things that someone with PCOS might want to have mm-hmm. on their yeah, PCP, a GYN, a reproductive endocrinologist, mm-hmm. endocrinologist, a dietitian, a personal trainer, an esthetician for, you know, the oh, hair. Yeah. It was a full list of people, but I think um, this one, they really emphasize the need for us all to work together with the patient at the center. So mm, I love that. I'll be working to help people feel their best and yes. not 
not, you know, bashing each other. Everybody's got their own specialties. Doctors should not try to recommend diet changes. They should refer to a registered dietitian who can correct. Right. Right. No. And I'm not going to scrub up and go into surgery and that's okay. I'm okay with that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I always say I don't, I don't crack backs. Uh, Chiropractors didn't give nutrition advice. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. Oh, thank you so much, Melissa, for joining us. I I really appreciate your dedication to PCOS and women's health. You've been a colleague of mine for such a long time and and really someone that I respect and look up to. And I'm, I'm so glad that we got to chat today. Thank you for everything. Well, ditto. And thank you for having me. Yes. And let us know um, where where listeners can find you, how you work with clients, all that good stuff. Yeah. So mostly I'm on Instagram. So I'm the.hormone.dietitian on Instagram. And I'm posting there most days. Uh, a little bit dabbling on threads these days under yeah. the same. A little bit dabbling on TikTok, although I do feel like I'm a little, little old for TikTok, but I do <laughs> Role, you know, yes. um, and then website is, is the hormone dietitian.com and, uh, ways to work with me. I work virtually with patients. They still do take a limited number of one-on-one clients. So I have PCOS fertility and hormone balance programs. I do hormone testing as well. I have a program, the PCOS root cause roadmap. Uh, and that's my six week program for PCOS. I have a cookbook, a balanced yes. approach to PCOS and season two of my podcast should be coming out mm-hmm. um, shortly. As soon as I can get onto it, it's a uh, hormonally yours with the hormone dietitian. And, and for those of you who listen, be sure to check out Corey's episode from season one. On yes. That. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Melissa. If you like this episode, don't forget to review my podcast on Apple Podcasts. It's what keeps me running. Thanks for listening to the Imperfect PCOS Podcast.